Jeremiah chapter 9. There's some seats up here. If we need to bring some more chairs out. Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. And why do we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet? Because he wept. (laughs) And he wept because he, uh, he had compassion and he had concern and he wasn't disconnected from his people or disconnected from what was taking place. He was very much concerned about what was happening and so he wept and um, it's interesting you know we all have different personalities don't we and and based upon our personality that's how we carry ourselves through life and Jeremiah he wasn't always weeping because you know he was just a, a weak man or a baby but when you see him weeping in the context of of this prophecy, Jeremiah, we can understand why he wept. I was thinking before coming down here tonight, when I was a kid, and uh, I would go to, when I was going to parochial school, our first class, it really wasn't a class, it was mass, so it was church, so we would kind of show up at the school, and we would be out, and we didn't really have a playground. Our playground was just asphalt. Uh, It was a parking lot of the church, and so we would usher into the church, and it was single file, you know, girls on one side, boys on the other side as we'd make our way in, and as we would make our way into the church... This was in Norwalk, California, St. Linus, great big building. And um, there would already be people in there. They were women. They were always women. There might be one over here and one there and one over there. and one. They're just kind of spread out. They're all dressed in black, all of the women. They weren't nuns, but they were there before um, the Mass started. You know, the Catholic churches, I don't know if they do this still. I guess it depends on where they're located. But Catholic churches were always unlocked. I guess they would lock them up at night. But during the day, they were always open. So you could drop in there anytime you wanted and pray or, or whenever, whatever you wanted to do. Um, and so I remember as a young kid, I would ask, I asked my mother one time, I said, because we'd see them on Sunday mornings as well, if you happen to get there early for Mass, you would see these women that just kind of scattered about. And I would say, who are those ladies dressed in black? And my mother said, oh, they're widows. And they come here and they pray, and many of these widows, <clears throat> they devote themselves to prayer. And <clears throat> so I thought of that, a widow. What is a widow? Well, they lost their husband. And so they're in this, you know, among the Catholics, they were in this perpetual, you know, widow mode. Uh, I think of what we know in the scriptures today. We mourn 
when someone dies, when a believer dies, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. For us, it would be kind of a strange thing to be in a perpetual widow mode. When I went to Bulgaria after communism fell, the church I was ministering in, it was made up of mostly women. There were probably 150 people there. The majority of them, if not all but two, were women. You think of that. Women and children. The only males in the church was the pastor and his deacon. And I would meet these women, and they would be dressed in black. And they would come up, and they would, um, they would welcome us. They would, they would bring food or something. Um, some would bring articles of clothing and ask us to pray over the clothing. They had maybe a sick child or grandchild at home. And so this was tradition. And they were dressed in black. They were widows. And I remember asking the pastor after one particular woman came up and she had a little jammy and she said, this is my granddaughter, I think it was, grandson, granddaughter. Could you please pray over this garment? You know, Paul did that. And the Lord, I'm thinking, I'm not Paul, but, you know, I could pray a prayer of faith. And and I asked the pastor afterwards, I said, "Um, she's a widow. And he goes, oh, yes. And I said, how long has she been a widow? And he said, oh, for 10 years. This perpetual state of mourning. I was thinking of that because um, we, we, we saw it last week. We didn't read it because of time's sake. But in chapter 8, starting in verse 18, we see Jeremiah He says, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice of the crying of the daughter of my people from a far country. I mean, they've been taken into captivity. It's almost as if Jeremiah is saying, I can hear them weeping. The daughters of my nation, the most frail, the, the weakest among us, perhaps. Those who would be taken advantage of more than any others. And he says, I could hear them, and I, I, could, I, I, my, I could faint. My heart could faint for concern for them. You look at chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers. Now, as you're reading this, you would think so that he could take them there, but he doesn't say that. He says that I might leave my people and go from them. For they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Jeremiah, it's like he's concerned for his people. He's mourning over his people. He's weeping over his people. But we also see this sense of, but it didn't have to be this way. God's not doing this to you. You've brought this upon yourself. You've you've asked for this because of your idolatry, because you're treacherous men and women. He goes on in verse 3, he says, And like their bow, they have bent their tongue for lies. And there's a few verses there dealing with the fact that they were liars. Verse 4 says, Everyone take heed to his neighbor, 
And do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slander. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. We have kind of this interchange. Jeremiah has some things to say, and he records those things, and then the Lord has his input. And, and as I mentioned when we began our study in the book of Jeremiah, it's, it's, chronologically it's a hard book to study because of the way it's laid out. But we can kind of get the gist of it. I mean, the bad things were happening to Judah because of their their treachery because of their idolatry, because of their lying tongues and so on and so forth. Jeremiah is brokenhearted about it. But again, these are things that they had brought upon themselves. Tonight, I always get here a few hours early and I do that so that I can, and I, get, I do that if I'm teaching or not teaching. For me, uh, you know, I show up to Sunday night prayer meeting an hour before prayer meeting so that I could pray <laughs> and so I could read the scriptures and so I could kind of get my my head in the right place before uh, the prayer meeting I'm just kind of wired that way I, I I need to kind of settle myself and and kind of focus my thoughts upon the Lord and his scripture and and tonight I was sitting here and and I was just thinking, and I was praying, and I was reading. And I, I'm sure it's because, you know, and, and I brought this upon myself, but, mm-hmm. but I, I'm sure it's because we're doing Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, and then I chose to do Habakkuk on Sunday morning. And so it's heavy. It's heavy. I'm, I could hardly wait for Sunday. Um, I'm really looking forward to teaching the last chapter chapter three in Habakkuk and again we're dealing with the same time frame we're dealing with the same issues Uh, Jeremiah and and Habakkuk were contemporaries they were ministering to the same people at the same time it's a heavy thing it didn't have to be that way they brought this upon themselves it's heavy Nehemiah came in he's always the next one in the building and uh, he came in and he said, how you doing, Dad? And I said, you know, but I, my heart is heavy tonight. It's, he goes, how's your week been? I said, it's been a good week, but I just, I just feel burdened because of the world we live in. It, it, you know, every day there's something new. Every day, you know, and I, and I, I, I wish that I could and it's not my personality, but I wish that I could come in and be lighthearted and, and uh, you know, and make jokes and, and um, you know, just kind of not make it a heavy thing. But to me, it's, it, it feels like an impossibility. I mean, it really does. I, I feel like I would be an absolute phony, especially in light of the world in which we live, you know. I mean, guys, it's only Wednesday. It's Wednesday. And we've seen what's transpired in our government. Our nation is under the judgment of God. See, this is why when you look at Jeremiah or Habakkuk, 
And, and you see this pending judgment. And from our perspective, the judgment has come. It's history. But it's important for us to look at these things because we're living at a time where there is coming proclaimed judgment. And the judgment is not because God finds pleasure in judging nations, but it's because we brought this upon ourselves. You know, we've, we've watched our president sign this, uh, this marriage you know, law. And, and we scratch our heads and say, well, what's going on? You know, I mean, this is, this is Johnny come lately. I mean, does Biden realize that it was when his uh, <laughs> president, Obama, was in office that all of this became legalized? You know, you could marry who you want and, and that type of thing. And so many, like me, you know, I, I wonder, well, what's the significance of all of this? You know, and so I had to do some reading and some research and... And then I realized, oh, <laughs> this is setting things up. And this has just opened the door for all sorts of trouble to come upon the heads of those who are preaching and teaching and believing the word of God. But we live in a nation, and, and it's hard. It's, it's hard to crack jokes and to be jovial when, when you consider the fact that we live in a nation that, that applauds the very things that God says, I'm bringing judgment because of these very things. And from the highest office in the white, I mean, you think of, you know, sometimes I, I, I just will close my eyes and I try to picture people walking around the White House of the United States of America, and I just can't help but picture a clown show. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys have seen, you guys are watching and listening and reading the same things I'm reading, you know, when you have the head of, you know, the guy that's in charge of nuclear waste and all of that, and this guy is just, it's so perverse. It's so absolutely insane, you know. From what I understand, he's lost his job, but it took two felonies to finally get them to <laughs> remove him from his position. But you look at the things that are happening in the world. You look at the things that were happening in, in Jeremiah's day. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Jeremiah, you're weeping. Tosh, you don't have to leave. If, okay, all right. The little babies, they don't bother me. It's when they're old enough to be in the class and they're, that's when it's kind of hard. Hint, hint. Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. I mean, uh, one speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not, the Lord is speaking, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I will take up a weeping. God says, I'm going to weep too. But look what he weeps over. Weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a, a lamentation, because they have burned up 
or they are burned up, so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the cattle, uh, I'm sorry, both the birds of the heavens and the beast have fled. They're gone. They're gone. I will make Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. Do you know that the Bible, the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. You guys know that. But there are a few places where we have the Aramaic, like in Daniel, Daniel's prophecy. And here in Jeremiah, this verse, verse 11, is the only verse in Jeremiah that's in Aramaic. I don't know why, but it's interesting. Here's the verse. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Verse 12. Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land... So what's the Lord concerned about? Well, he's concerned about the people, but he's concerned about the land. The land is so significant, guys. It's so significant. Don't buy into replacement theology. Don't buy into what most churches are buying into today, that there's no significance of the land of Israel. It doesn't matter who occupies the land of Israel. It's not their land. It is their land because God gave them their land. And he says their land, uh, does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? And the Lord said, here's the reason, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. And have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts. And after Baals, which their fathers taught them. See, this is what's so tragic. It's not like it's one generation that went astray. It's the fathers teaching their children these blasphemous things. Which their fathers taught them. Verse 15, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will, you'll note the I wills here. It's what the Lord's doing. I will feed them, this people, with wormwood or bitterness and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them among the Gentiles whom neither they, uh, they nor their fathers have known. I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. The judgment. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women. And it goes on. And, and I, again, I guess that's why I was thinking of those, those mourners when I was a kid in the Catholic Church, the widows mourning. You would hear them weeping, uh, you know, before the Mass would start. They would say their rosaries and they would cry. Verse 18, let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water for a voice of wailing is heard in Zion. How we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the, what? The land. Guys, would you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18? And I want to warn you, that it's 
it's, it's not a very pleasant scripture to read, but it is scripture nonetheless. In Leviticus chapter 18, beginning in verse 19, the Lord, of course, giving instruction. He says, also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. So this is speaking of a woman who's on her menstrual period, that a man or a husband is not supposed to have sexual relations. Now, this is not, this, we're not under this. This is under those Jews that were under the law, but this was what was commanded them. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch. Guys, all of these things, all of these things the children of Judah were doing, they brought this upon themselves. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Guys, this is Bible. I'm not interpreting anything. You're not interpreting anything. You plainly read it and you know what it's speaking of. And this is going to become against the law. To even mention things like this. Nor shall you mate with any animal. You go, that's disgusting to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to make a mate with it. It is perversion. Look at verse 24. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by all of these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Look at this. Look at verse 25. For the land is defiled. Guys, this is as they're coming into the promised land, the Lord's saying to the children of Israel, I'm driving them out. See, guys, we need to be biblical in our thinking because so many people, yeah, what will you, God, that wasn't fair that he drove out all those ites from the land. And the Lord is telling us why he drove out the ites from the land, the Canaanites, the, you know, all of the, 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 the people of the land, because they were doing all of these things. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, upon the land. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any strangers who dwell among you. For all these abominations... The men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Now look at verse 28. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commits them shall be cut off or killed, you know, under the law, from among their people. The point is, is that the Lord warned their forefathers when they first entered the land. You can turn back to Jeremiah if you'd like. Don't do these things. Don't do that. The land is defiled. I'm going to drive you out of the land. The Lord is concerned about the land. 
<laughs> he has great interest in the land. Now, we know, guys, that they were driven out of the land because they did the very things that the nations before them were doing with animals and women and uh, women that were not their wives and men with men and women with men and all of these detestable things and offering their children to Moloch and all of these horrible, horrible things. But we also know that Israel did not keep their one in seven land rest, so the sabbatical rest. They didn't do that, and so that was another reason why they were cast out of the land. But I just think it's important to notice that the Lord was concerned about his land. There's a purpose for the land. The millennial kingdom is going to be in the land of Israel. You know, the nations of the world will come there to Israel, where his kingdom is set up. Um, They brought this upon themselves. Verse 17, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the morning. Oh, I read that. (laughs) Verse 23, thus says the Lord. There we are. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me. And then he tells us something about himself. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Nehemiah, I didn't finish my story. He said, how's your week going? I said, you know, but I just feel heavy-hearted by all the things happening in the world. And he said to me, you know, Dad, what we need to do. So he has my attention. He says, especially for those of us who read the Bible take the Bible seriously, who are aware of what's happening in the world. We don't have our heads in, a, in the sand. You know, we're aware of what's happening in the world. He says, we need to spend, times, spend time thinking on the goodness of God. I said, yeah. He said, you know, Dad, I've been listening to some testimonies from different guys, different people. And uh, I'll tell you, it's been so edifying this week for me. Uh, just listening to what God has done. I said, I've been, he said, I've been listening to some testimonies from some of the old Calvary guys, you know, and how the Lord uh, just really moved upon their life and how they got saved and things like that. And he says, it's, it's just encouraging. And, you know, Dad, we need to remember that we are living in dark days, that it is a heavy time in human history. But God is still on the throne, and God is still doing marvelous things in the lives of people. And I said, amen, amen, amen. I said, you know, buddy, that is so true. That is so good. That is so right. I, my children, you know, they're adults now, and, and many times they minister to me by the wisdom that they have received from the Lord. I love it. It's not just their opinion. It's something that the Lord has shown them. 
It's glorious. Mariel and Molly, two of our daughters, went to Issaquah. Is that what? In Imqua to do a, a Mariel did some worship and music at a, a women's retreat for a church down there, Calvary Chapel. And and so uh, Molly was telling us on Sunday because Mariel was home with the sick kiddos. So I was asking her, I said, um, how, how was the retreat? And she goes, oh, it's very good. And the lady who was sharing, it was just really a powerful testimony of the goodness of God. And, and so she's starting to tell the testimony. And I said, um, I know her. And she said, well, I didn't even tell you the name yet. And I said, well, I just recognize the story. I said, the Cowans. And she goes, yes, yes, that was her name, Laura Cowan. And I said, I know John. I used to do ministry uh, with John um, down at uh, Sacramento. They, he pastored in Calvary Chapel, Sacramento, for years and years and years. We were up in the mountains there, in the foothills, in Grass Valley. And I've known John for a long, long time. So anyway, Molly was saying, you know, just Karen, sharing the testimony I'm not going to go into all the details. I don't remember all the details, but but it was such a it was a time they have eight children. It was a time that they went away, just the two of them. They were camping. Were they going on a mission thing or something like that? But anyway, it was just the two of them. Um, they were tired, so they pulled into a rest stop. And um, John wakes up. It's still, you know, the sun hasn't risen yet, and. Uh, but he said, you know, I'm awake, so let's get on the road so we can get to our destination. And um, he said, I'm going to run to the bathroom here. And his wife said, oh, don't do that. Just use the trailer bathroom, the trailer, you know. And he said, no, I don't want, I don't want it in the trailer. We'll just, I'm just going to run in here. And, and it was one of those times where the Lord just put it upon our heart. He should not be going to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom, and she hears immediately two gunshots. Bam, bam. And she says, oh, Lord, please don't let that be John. And what had happened was there was a man, uh, a hit was uh, taken out on this guy from a, uh, a, I think it was kind of like a mafia type of uh, gang, and uh, they killed this or shot this guy, and uh, and then John was standing right there, and uh, John said that the guy cocked his gun his, and held the gun, and then kind of had this terrified look on his face when he looked at John, and then ended up running away. And so, um, so she sees the man run, get into a car, drive away, so she figures it's safe to go and check on her husband. She goes into the bathroom, and John's there holding this man who's been shot twice, and John said to her, talk to him about Jesus. I'm going to take his car, because it was a little car. They had the trailer and the truck, and he said, I'm going to take his car and drive to the... This is pre-cell phones, for those of you that don't... But... um, so I'm going to drive to the Fort, the ranger station and get get some help. So he said to his wife, talk to him about Jesus. And she's talking to him about Jesus. And he had 
I mean, it sounded like he rolled right over on his knees, I mean, as he's dying, and uh, asked the Lord, Lord, I, because he knew. He had heard the gospel, grew up hearing the gospel, Christian home, but not walking with the Lord at all. Anyway, you know, what a trial. What a major thing. It didn't end with that. Because it was a hit on this man, and John saw the man who did it, they, the whole family had to go into police uh, protection for a long period of time. And just how it, it just radically changed their life, you know. And I mean, he's pastoring a church, and, and you have all these children, and they would get phone calls that would describe one of their children or two of their children, and I saw your child walk home. So they lived under this threat of any day, any day, any day. And so Laura's testimony, from what I gather, was how the Lord brought her through that brought them through that, but it was this desire to grow deeper with the Lord, and then something like this happens, and how she felt so many times that she wasn't going to survive another day, that she was literally dying. She wasn't eating. She was the stress of everything, but how the Lord just brought her through all of that. That's a testimony of God's goodness. This is, look what God can do. You know, guys, there are so many testimonies. I mean, even in this room, you could look around, and God has been faithful. God has, has moved in so many ways. On one hand, there's that part of our testimony, if we're honest, that we say, I brought this upon myself. I made these poor decisions, these poor choices, and this is where I found myself. And for some, it's worse than others. But, but I think all of us, before coming to faith in Christ, unless you were one of those, and there are a few of those that just kind of grow up in a Christian home, and they can't really pinpoint when they came to faith in Christ. They just kind of always believed, and then their, you know, their faith was matured as they grew older. Let not the man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Let not, but let him glory. Let him who glories glory in this that he knows, that he understands and knows me. That's something positive that we should think about, you know. I was thinking as we were worshiping tonight, I, I, I mean, as soon as Marielle came up, um, I, I have this thing, and it hits me every now and again, where my my vision goes, and it, I kind of get this tunnel vision, and and then I can't read. Uh, one Sunday, in fact, I got it right before the second service. I had Tracy come up; she read the text, and then I just taught the text because I. I had studied, obviously, for the text, and so she read it, and I taught it. But I felt like that was happening right then, and I just kind of sat there and I go, oh, Lord, please. I prayed that my, so I'm praying. Pray that my vision clears up. I pray that I'm not getting that. I, I just felt uh, lightheaded. I felt, you know, whatever. But I have to be honest, as it was happening, I was thinking to myself, Lord, I feel like this is demonic. I mean, I really, and, I, and I'm not one of those that sees a demon behind every bush, you know, but, but I just really felt like something's off about this time, and, and I just felt like it was a demonic thing. 
And as we're worshiping, in my mind, isn't that wonderful how the Lord gives us the ability to do something and another thing at the same time? And I was saying in my mind, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my life. Thank you, Lord, for my wife, Tracy. Thank you, Lord, for my children. Thank you, Lord, that my children know you. Thank you, Lord, for my grandchildren. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I opened my eyes up. I saw Tosh over here in the corner. I said, thank you, Lord, for the addition to our family. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, that you've sustained this church for three decades plus. I mean, it's, it's the Lord. It's not anything else. It's the Lord. Churches are closing all the time. Every week, churches close. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, guys, we have to realize that the days are dark and they're getting darker. I, I cannot tolerate the kind of mentality that, oh, I just don't want to think about it because that's so phony and so dangerous. I mean, it's not real. It's not like, it's like you're in some fantasy world that I, I don't understand. I've never lived in a world like that, you know. But at the same time, we can't allow the darkness of the days in, we, in which we live to get us down because we have so much to look forward to. Look at chapter 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And the everlasting King... At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. You go, well, that started out good, but it got heavy. Look at verse 16. The portion of Jacob or Israel is not like them speaking. Oh, well, let's go back up to verse 14. Everyone is dull hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by his by an image for his molded image is falsehood and there is no breath in them they are futile a work of errors in the time of their punishment they shall perish then we get to that verse the portion of Jacob or Israel is not like them for he is the maker of all things and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. What's Jacob's portion? God is Jacob's portion. God is Jacob's portion. Who's your portion? Who's my portion? See, these are things we need to remind ourselves of. Verse 21. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Guys, shepherds, many times in the scripture, obviously speaks of leadership. You have the shepherd, and then you have the sheep. You have the sheep and the goat or the flock. And so the shepherd, well, he has a responsibility. He has a responsibility to protect the sheep and to lead the sheep to green pastures and uh, clean waters and, 
and uh, protect the sheep from the wolves and the lions. At that time, they, there were lions in Israel and, and uh, you know, any dangers like that. But many times we see in the scriptures where the Lord speaks against the shepherds, so the leaders, and here he does so. He says that they're dull-hearted. And this is something that as a pastor, it grieves me. I don't know if I would feel this way if I was not a pastor. But as a pastor, I am grieved by the dull-hearted shepherds in churches. I talked about, I mentioned this law that Biden passed and how it will affect the church. Let me tell you, it will not affect at all the progressive church. It will not affect at all the majority of the denominational churches at all. It will affect the remnant. It will affect those who say, this is what the word of God says, and I, I'm not, you know, not going to vacillate on this. I, you know, we, we can't uh, allow our emotions to dictate you know, what is true to us. We need to, this is the word of God. This is what we believe. This is what we stand on. We're not going to move to the right or the left. It doesn't matter who it is is embracing this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And guys, we're, we're watching, you know, things change so quickly, and we know the handwriting on the wall. You know, something that bummed me out right before coming down here, I, I was listening to, uh, I won't tell you who I was listening to because it won't matter, but, but he was talking about, um, he was interviewing someone from Canada, and they were talking about the assisted deaths that Canada is doing, and this person from Canada says that there are documented over 10,000 deaths that have taken place. And this is what's documented, and she was saying that most likely the number is much higher than that. And it's the type of thing now in, in Canada, there's not a waiting period. So you could request assistance in ending your life on the day that you die. Think of that. Man, I think of... I think of my own children. That at times when life just got so hard and so difficult... And how they would, you know, as maybe teenagers or, or young adults, and they would say to their mom and I, I just want to die. I don't want to live anymore. And I just think, thank you, Lord, that we didn't have what they have in Canada today. You know, the commercial, you guys have probably seen it from Canada. The woman, she's got a bald head, no doubt from medication, I would think. I just heard today that the family of that woman said that she wanted to live. But because she could not get the care she needed to relieve her of her constant pain, 
The only other option was death. And so now Canada is, you know, they're showing this commercial, and they got the music playing and everything else, almost as if this is a beautiful thing that a person has decided that they're done with life. Guys, when you think about this, what, what does it do? Let me tell you what it does. First and foremost, it takes God completely out of the equation. Completely. I mean, it, it's almost like a slap in the face of God. It's like a, you do not exist, God. We make our own choices. We'll make our own decisions. When I'm ready to go, when I'm done, I'm done. Have you ever been depressed? I am so thankful. I am. I have been, I have been delivered from depression. And it wasn't when I became a Christian I dealt with serious depression. Probably the first 20 years of pastoring this church. And there were times, and I was thinking about it tonight, as I was sitting up there praying in the sanctuary, thanking the Lord, you know, for his grace. And I was thinking of a time, and I won't give you the details, but I was so distraught. I mean, it seems ridiculous now. And I might be throwing pearls before some swine. I hope not. But I was despairing of life so much. And I remember sitting on the floor of the sanctuary and just crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you please just take me now? I don't want to live any longer. Now, I would never think of, you know, taking my own life. I, I, I have enough sense that, you know, that, that's self-murder. That, you know, you, you don't do that, you know. But to despair of life. And I think there's a lot of people that have gone through difficult times. Maybe your marriage ends. Maybe, you're, you're, you, maybe you lose your job. You say, you'll get over it. Well, yeah, but you know what? If, if everything, the domino effect happens and you're just thinking... Man, I don't, why am I even alive? Or you have a lapse in faith. You know, there's a lot of Christians that despair because they, they lose their faith. It's not a, you know, it, maybe it's a, it's a temporary thing. It's a hiccup in their walk with Jesus. But they, they just get to that point where the, the devil has convinced them that none of it's real. All of this is a joke. This is a false hope, and you despair, and you say, oh, if, if the Lord is not real, I, I don't have any reason to live. Think of that. Think of a dark time in your own life. Could you imagine if, if you could just go down to a medical <laughs> you know, facility and say, I'd like to end my life today? And they said, yes, we'll help you out with that. You know, I mean, it, it's unbelievable what's happening. We have the hope of Jesus. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted. I'm telling you. I, I want to be a faithful shepherd. I, and this is going to sound so boastful, but I believe that I am a faithful shepherd. Because I fear God. 
You know, I believe that the Lord entrusts, you know, each of us, if you're a pastor, if you're a minister, he, you know, he, he doesn't, I didn't get the 10 talents. I didn't get the, you know, I, I might've got the, the two, uh, or the one, but I refuse to bury it. I refuse to look at this as an occupation or a job. I refuse, or a paycheck. I refuse to do that. And I think that the Lord has, has tested me over the years allowing me to experience times where there wasn't money in the church account to pay our salary. But it didn't change my opinion or my, my, my conviction about you know, what I'm called to do. But I want to finish strong. But as a shepherd, I'm so troubled. I, I voiced it on Sunday night at our prayer meeting. I was mentioning certain churches in town. And I said, you know, guys, I, I, I know it sounds so petty, but sometimes I just wonder, why is that church so large and that church so large and that church so large? And they're not teaching the word of God. They're not honoring his word. And I wrestle with that. But you know why? Because I know, and bless your hearts, I thank the Lord for you guys that you choose to come to this church. I really do. Because I know it's not easy coming to Calvary Chapel, Oak Harbor. Honestly, I, I know that. I don't, I don't have any grand illusions that, you know, we're doing everything right, and that's why people want to come to church here. I, don't, I think the reason people stay at this church, because a lot of people come and a lot of people go, and we've watched a lot of people come and a lot of people go over the 35 years that we've been in existence. But I think that the people who stay, though they might not like my presentation of the Word as I teach the Word all the time, but I think they just settle on the fact of but they're teaching the word. They honor the word there. They don't have the programs. They have this, this old building. I was thanking the Lord for this old building. I never thought, you know, I, I know pastors that have pastored uh, the, the churches where they are for years and year, decades and decades, never were able to buy a church because of where the church was located. Always rented, always leased facilities. I'm so thankful that the Lord gave us this little church. Sometimes I walk into the men's bathroom. It always reminds me of like a lockdown. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're in the hole for 10 days, you know. And uh, it's cold. There's no heat. There's no ventilation. It's just a cinder block room. And, and I, sometimes I'll go in there and I'll just laugh and say, man, this building is so cheesy. Thank you, Lord, for this building. I'm so thankful for it. Because again... You know, if, if you're looking for anything else, you're not going to last here. But I would hope that if this building was to burn down tonight, that we'd be gathering someplace else, not caring about where we're meeting, but caring that we, we meet because it's the word of God. We honor the word of God. Would you be praying for the shepherds? Would you pray... For Nate and I, as we teach the Word of God, that there would be this seriousness, that we would never see this as a burden. I don't. You know, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and I still want to pinch myself, and I still will say to the Lord, Lord, I can't believe you let me do this. 
I really, you know, it's not like this burden, this task. I've been ministering for so long. You know, some pastors are like that. It's like, gosh, you should have left the ministry a long time ago. <laughs> if it's that way, but to me, it's like this privilege. And I would hope that all of us would feel that way, regardless of what we're doing for the Lord, that it would be a privilege rather than, you know, the burden that I've carried, you know. This is the cross that I've had to carry a big deal, you know. Would you pray for the shepherds? Would you pray for churches? I said on Sunday night, I said, you know, these churches that have so many people, and I prayed. Lord, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of the pastors, that they would be convicted, and that they would teach your word. That's what I pray. I, I've never prayed. And you could ask any, anyone, any of the leadership here, We've never, we've never asked anyone to come to Calvary Chapel, ever. People come and say, yeah, I'm in between churches. Oh, yeah, well, praise the Lord. The Lord will show you where you need to go. We never say, this is a great place. I mean, you'll love this place. You should stay here. We don't do that. We, we're not, we don't sell. We don't try to sell anything. We just say, this is what we are. This is who we are. This is what we do. If people like it, they'll stay. If they don't like it, they're going to go. They're going to go someplace else. But I'll tell you, I would, I would hope that the Lord would move upon the hearts of people because there are churches that have a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to hell because they're not born again. And, and really, guys, this is where there needs to be this seriousness to where we look at, you know, not just Calvary Chapel, but... But other churches are looking at what the prophet Jeremiah wrote and what he had to say and, and the difficulties and the heaviness. Also seeing the joy, the nuggets of, of, of you know, the, that are throughout the scriptures here, uh, you know, of the Lord. The Lord is our portion and, and things like that. Anyway, I'll, i got to end. So verse 23, oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. See, this uh, assisted suicide, who do you think you are? Oh, Lord, correct me. Isn't that what Habakkuk <laughs> anticipated? But with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. I, I love this. I love, I love this because there's such humility there. Lord, I don't, I don't, Lord, don't, don't give me what I deserve. Deal with me according to your mercy. <coughs> Guys, we got to get over ourselves, don't we? We got, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a, no, you're not. No one's righteous. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. There's no one good. No one even good, Lord? No, not by my standard. Not one are good. And you go, okay, so we're all on the same even plane. Yuck. <laughs> but by God's grace, we're saved and we're his and we're redeemed and we're, we're sanctified and we're cleansed and we're washed and we become lights and we become salt and we become his vessels and he is our portion and we get to talk to people about him and give people hope. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you and on the families who do not call on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob or Israel, devour him and consume him. Made his dwelling place desolate. I like that. 
You know why I like it? Because Jeremiah and Habakkuk, they were men. They were people like us. And they prayed the way we would pray. Lord, not us. Not us, Lord. Get them, Lord. Get them. <laughs> but not us. And Lord, we do pray, thanking you, Lord, for your many blessings that have been bestowed upon us. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for giving us a measure of faith to even believe. Thank you, Lord, for the many people that shared the gospel with us. I think of all the people that would pick me up hitchhiking, and they would share the gospel with me. Or in the water, surfing, they would share the gospel with me. Or Alpha Beta, they'd share the gospel with me. Thank you for each and every one of them, Lord Jesus. Thank you for my wife, who lived the gospel and shared the gospel by her actions that first year of marriage, Lord. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that though the days are dark, we're waiting for the dawning of the morning star, a new day. And Lord, that new day could come any day. We pray, Father, that you would help us to proclaim your word with joy in our heart but also with warning. Jude tells us to snatch some from the fire. I mean, despising the stench of the smoke. Sometimes that's how we have to deal with things, and sometimes there has to be that fear that we lay on people. It's not fake, it's real. It's a reality. But Lord, we pray that we would never forget your loving kindness, your righteousness, your justice. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay.